Lord God, let none of us think more highly than we ought of ourselves, but look to you as a servant who is willing to take on human flesh and be seen in human likeness, not grasping for things that you had with God, but taking on the very nature of a servant. Let your word make that happen in our lives today. Amen. Please take a seat. Welcome back. Last week of our Core Values Sermon Series. And for four weeks before this, we've been looking at the definitive characteristics of our congregation, what makes us, us. Uh, Not that we won't do other things, that we can't do other things, but we're going to make sure we do these things as we move forward through our new 10-year vision that we put together over two years of study as a congregation. Um, For those of you who have been here for all four weeks of Core Values. It's going to get a little repetitive for you, um, but for those of you who are new or maybe haven't been here the whole series, um, it's good to remember that we have been talking about what it means to be Christ-centered, not just that we preach about Christ, but that we preach Christ as the center of all things and we let him have the last word, that we are together, that we do this uh, church thing as unified people, not because we always get along or we have the same viewpoints all the time, but that we're willing to forgive and bear with one another in love talked about being relentless, relentlessly honest, relentlessly humble, and relentlessly hopeful. And then uh, we talked about, I'll make sure I remember them now, invested, right? Um, Being invested in um, each other and in God's word and making it a priority. If we're going to reach the people who we think we are perfectly positioned to reach, we're going to have to do that by starting with ourselves and investing in our community here at Cross of Life and in God's word. And so today we get selfless, and we're going to study it from uh, the v- book of Philippians, chapter 1. And just to give you a little context of Philippians before I read the text, Philippians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul. Um, Paul was possibly the greatest missionary who ever lived. He started multiple churches across the Mediterranean world. He started this congregation in Philippi as a very small congregation, and a couple years later is when he's writing this letter. He himself, at the time, is in prison in Rome. The Philippians are under persecution of people around, from around them, um, and so Paul writes this letter to them to tell them essentially one big thing. I want to come back to you and serve you, but I'm not sure if I can because I'm in prison and they might kill me here, so I really have two options. I'm going to die and be with Christ, or I'll remain and serve with you. So let's read his words. This is from Philippians chapter 1, starting at verse 21. Paul writes, For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. And I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you, again, your boasting in Christ will abound on account of me. This is God's word. One of the most interesting phenomena of my life is the resurgence of the popularity of superheroes. You think back to 2002 when Tobey Maguire graced the silver screen as Spider-Man, how many superhero movies we've seen since then? Amazing amount, isn't it? We've never seen this much popularity of superheroes since really the late 1930s, 1940s, and into the 1950s. Some would call that even the golden age of comic books. And if you think about it, it makes sense. 1930s, 1940s, 1950s, a time in North America when there was a great 
Recession, right? We called the depression. A world war. A time when people were looking for heroes, right? Sometimes I wonder if the resurgence of the popularity of superheroes today has anything to do with that. A housing market crash. World leaders who seem like they're on the point of starting wars. Political polarization. A time when people need heroes. But you know, the hero has changed significantly since those 1930s, 40s, and 50s superheroes. You heard me talk about it with the children in the message. The heroes of that era were perfect. They were everything. They had no weaknesses. They could accomplish whatever they desired. But if you're a comic book fan, then you know that that changed. There was a new archetype of superhero character that started in about the 1960s because of the work of possibly the greatest comic book writer of all time, Stan Lee. If you're a comic book fan, you know Stan Lee just died in November. Stan Lee was famous for creating an archetype of character that was flawed. A character who could do whatever he wanted, but, but his personal life was a mess. He created characters like uh, X-Men, Thor, Iron Man, the Hulk, Spider-Man, the Fantastic Four, Black Panther, and others. You think about many of those characters, they are flawed heroes. A bratty teenager bitten by a mutant spider. A playboy tycoon who is only alive because he has an arc reactor in his chest. A scientist whose superpowers are all wrapped up in his inability to control his temper. Flawed heroes, right? But the flawed hero struck a chord with North American culture. Because suddenly the hero was not so out there. He was right here. He was like me. He was like me, but better. Like me, but could pull it off. Like me, but invincible. Don't you wish you were invincible? Don't you wish you could face whatever came into your life without batting an eyelash? Always have the right answer to all the tough questions. Always know what to do in all the difficult situations to be the one that everyone looks to when struggle hits, and to have no fear, no fear of of loneliness or death or pain or sadness or poverty or abandonment, none of it, to be invincible. We all kind of want that at some level, don't we? Wish that could be us. Well, the Apostle Paul is kind of the picture of it, isn't he? You read in his letter that we just read, to live is Christ, to die is gain. He was the original superhero. He was invincible. No one could touch the Apostle Paul. He had many enemies, but some of those enemies would come to him and say, well, we're, we're going to torture you. And Paul would write in, in Romans 5, we glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope, and hope does not put us to shame. So they'd say, well, okay, we can't torture him then because he likes that, so let's imprison him. But from prison, Paul would write the words, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. So we can't imprison him. Well, let's kill him. He says, to die is gain. Okay, well, let's let him live a meaningless existence. Now, to live is Christ. Paul was untouchable. But he was also a flawed hero, wasn't he? A man who spent a good chunk of his life killing other Christians? A man who would write about himself, I am a wretched person. A man who would admit that he had psychological and physical problems that made it really hard for him to do ministry. 
he was the original flawed hero. But maybe what makes superheroes most interesting is not necessarily their feats of strength or the rescues that they pull off, but the character that they are. And every superhero has an origin story. For Spider-Man, the origin story was being bitten by a mutant spider and then seeing his uncle be killed and no justice being had. So he became Spider-Man. For Paul, Jesus showed up to him, said, Paul, you're persecuting me and I don't want you to do that anymore. You work for me now. You're going to go on these missions that I send you out to do. And Paul, seeing the need for the gospel to go to those who are not of Jewish descent, he went out and he did it. See, every superhero origin story contains really two elements. On the one hand, you can. You have the ability to be a superhero. For Spider-Man, the mutant spider bite. For Paul, or Saul, as he was called before, Jesus shows up to him in person. And on the other hand, if you don't do it, who will? For Spider-Man, the justice that was not being had, if he wouldn't have said it right, who would have? For Paul, if he wouldn't have preached to the Gentiles, who was going to? You can see it in how Paul writes, right? He's conflicted because on the one hand, he loves Jesus and he wants to be with Jesus, but he also knows that he has a call to serve these people. He writes it like this. He says, I desire to be with Christ, which is better by far, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. See, for him, the two options, they were difficult to choose between, but he knew he could and that if he wasn't going to, who would? It's a beautiful picture of selflessness, isn't it? We aspire to be that kind of selfless, to see other people as more important than ourselves, to live like Paul or most perfectly like Jesus did, But how easy is it to be selfless when you walk in the door after work, a long day? You really would rather just be selfish. You're more concerned with what you want, you need at that moment than what everybody else in the house wants or needs. How easy it is to be selfish when at work, you're not getting the hours or the pay or the respect you deserve. To fight for yourself instead of looking for the good of the people who work there and ultimately the company. How easy it is to come to church and focus on the things that you don't like instead of realizing that some of those things are getting better. There are already good things and all these people here are being served by this congregation even if everything isn't perfect. We wish we could be selfless, but, but the truth is we're not, at least not by nature. That's why these words from Paul are so beautiful and powerful to us because it is the call of God to you to be a hero, to hear your origin story, your I can and if I don't, who will? And God puts them both in the text for you today. And so I want you to pick out those two points today. First of all, we can be selfless. And second of all, if we aren't, who will be? So first, we can be selfless. Um, This truth is really wrapped up in the phrase that Paul says, uh, to live is Christ, which is terrible grammar. You would think he would write, to live is to be one with Christ, or to live is to be like Christ, or to live is to live with Christ. 
But he doesn't. He says to live is Christ. Why does he talk like that? Because Paul's trying to say to you all of the above. He wants you to realize that living is Christ. It's all of it. It's being with him. It's being one with him. It's being for him. It's being like him. In fact, if you're taking notes in our first, in our uh, bulletins today, the first fill in the blank is this. To live selflessly is Christ. And what does that look like? Um, I want to actually take you on a little journey through the scripture to, to show you exactly what Paul means by this, to live is Christ business. It's a famous story. You maybe remember it from the Gospel of John. Um, Jesus is just about to be betrayed into the hands of uh, people who are going to eventually kill him. He's sitting at dinner with his disciples, and he knows the guy who's going to betray him is right there at the table with him. If that was your situation, how would you handle it? You know that guy did it, he betrayed you, and it's going to mean that you're going to suffer and then die. Well, you probably wouldn't have done what Jesus did. If you remember the story, Jesus got up from the table after dinner, took off his outer garment, grabbed a basin of water and a towel, and started to wash his disciples' feet. One of his disciples, Peter, said to him, Lord, what are you, what are you doing? You can't wash my feet. Because Peter understood Jesus was God. And there's no way God should be serving me like this. I'm nobody. But Jesus said, if, if I don't wash you, then you have no part in me. So Peter lets him wash his feet and the other disciples' feet. Jesus finishes, puts the basin away, puts his garment back on, sits back down, and then says these words from, from John chapter 16. He says, do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. And not that I, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet. You should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, I am Lord. I am God. I am everything you think I am and more. I am more compassionate, more perfect, more powerful than you. And yet I'm willing to serve. I'm willing to get down into the dirty part of your life and do some cleanup work. See, to Paul, the idea of being selfless starts with seeing that as Christ washes you, you are one with him. Christ's servant action, not just of washing you with water, but also with his word in your baptism, that connects you to the power of his crucifixion and resurrection, it's all made you one with him. For you to live is to be one with Christ. Later in John, he says that this is now your example. So Paul says it's not just that you are one with Christ, but that you are then like Christ. The same way that I have washed your feet, you should wash each other's feet. In the same way that I have served you, you should serve each other. Be willing to get down in the dark, deep places of other people's lives. Be willing to absorb their evil and not give it back. Be willing to act on behalf of other people because I was willing to do that for you. And then Jesus continues and says that that, that, if you can do that, if you can see him as Savior and then live 
in a servant way like he did. That's the definition of church. He he says it like this later in, in John 16. He says, this is how everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. He doesn't say, everyone will know you are my disciples if you all show up for church every Sunday. He doesn't say, you will all be my disciples if you are really solid in your theology. He doesn't say, you will all be my disciples if you volunteer a lot. Or you will all be my disciples if you have the best ideas for how to run my church. He says, no, you'll be my disciples and people will see it if you love. So if that's the definition, are we Jesus' disciples? I think you'd agree with me that many times we're not. We're not defined by our love for one another. We're defined by our complaining or our pouting or our unwillingness to change for other people or our need to get our way. Very often, we aren't anything but lookalikes of Jesus. But that's why it's so beautiful that Paul doesn't say to live is to be like Christ. Because if that's what he would have said, we would have all been cut down at the knees. To live is to be like Christ, none of us can pull that off. But to live is to be one with Christ? Well, that doesn't depend on you. And that's why it's beautiful. To live as Christ is both. To know that God has gotten his fingers dirty in your life and forgiven all of your sin so that now, free from that guilt, free from that shame, free from the obligation to be enough for anybody else or for God, you can freely love and serve each other. That's what it means to live is Christ. But there's a second part to this. The first part of your origin story is that, yes, you can. You can be a superhero. You can serve selflessly. But second, you have to know that if you don't, who will? Paul says it like this. He says, it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. You think Paul wasn't convinced that other people could have preached the gospel to the Philippians? No, he knew. He knew other people could have done it. But he also knew that he was perfectly positioned to do it. He was the one that God had called, the one that God had formed, the one that God had redeemed and put into this position as an apostle. Do you think about yourself and your life that way? Sometimes I think it's helpful to think this way. Um, If God is all-powerful and he wants you in heaven, and you want to be in heaven, why are you still here? There's nothing you can do here that you can't do in heaven besides sin. So why are you still here? It would make sense that God, the God who can do a lot with a little, like if you remember how he took 32,000 men in Gideon's army and pared them down to 300, he could get rid of a whole bunch of us, bring us all to heaven, leave like three of us here, and he could be just fine. But he doesn't. He leaves you here. See, Paul is convinced that in the same way that he was needed to be the apostle to those Philippians, that God has given every one of us a position to serve in his church. To be a person that is perfectly molded, whether it's your personality or your resources or your background 
or your gender or your ethnicity or your age or whatever it is that makes you who you are, God has made you that way to fit into the puzzle of his, of his kingdom. If you're taking notes, it's our second fill-in-the-blank for today. God created me to be selfless. God could take me to heaven right now if he wants. But for whatever reason, within his will, he has decided not to. And so I, with Paul, say, it must be better for you that I remain. And it must be better for me that you remain. If you think about it like this, the worst thing that happened to you today is that you woke up. If you believe Paul's words, it's far better to be with Christ. Nothing here is as good as what it would be like to be in the presence of Jesus and see his smiling face at you and having, you, having him welcome you home. Nothing could be better than that. Worst thing that happened to you today, you woke up. But the best thing that happened to me today is that you woke up. Because I need you. I need your service. I need the way that you live the gospel. I need the way that you speak the gospel to others. I need your encouragement. I need your compliments. I need your support and your love. And, and you all need that from each other and from me all at the same time. God put you here, created you to be selfless. And if you don't do it, who will? So if I can, I'm going to get really practical with you. We have some really cool ways as we start to roll out our vision that you can be a hero. You can be a hero to the people of this congregation, a hero to the people that we are looking to serve in this community. I'm actually going to give you six of them, okay? So, six ways, practical ways, that you can be a hero in our congregation. Uh, first of all, with kids. Our hope is to reach people, especially young families, who have fallen away from Jesus. Who, whether they had church in their background as they grew up, or whether their parents were Christian, or they just kind of consider themselves Christian but aren't attending a church anywhere, we want to reach those people. Because Satan has them in his grasp. Now, if any of you have had children or have children right now, you know that sometimes the children can be a hindrance to coming to church because you're not sure what you're going to do with them or what they're going to learn there. So I'm offering you the chance to be a hero to those children. You can be a teacher in our Sunday school. You can be a teacher in our faith journey night. You don't even have to be the lead teacher. You can be an assistant and just be there to make sure that if there's somebody who's crying, you can help them. Or if there's somebody who needs to go to the bathroom, you can walk them over there. Be a hero to those children serve those families who we want to bring the gospel to. If you don't want to do that, if you don't want to be a teacher or an assistant in our faith journey night or in our Sunday school, then be an encourager. Encourage the people who do bring their kids here. Remind them that in the same way that they are valuable as Christians, their one, two, four, five, ten, twelve, fifteen-year-olds are just as valuable as Christians. And that they need to hear God's word and that we're glad that they're here. And if you want to, offer to help. I've never been a parent, but I hear it's tough. Sometimes you need an extra set of hands, somebody to hold a baby for a little while. Be that person. Encourage those families. Second way, you can be a hero with setup. At Cross of Life, we are convinced that everybody spends eternity somewhere, either heaven or hell. And we know from the scripture that the way that people spend eternity in heaven is from encounters with Jesus and his word. And so we set up an encounter with Jesus and his word every Sunday right here. 
But if this middle school gymnasium doesn't turn into a worship space, it doesn't happen. Right now, we have an amazing group of heroes who come here early every Sunday morning to make sure that the chairs are set up, the altar is set up, all the tables and electronics are all set up. Wonderful people who give of their time to be a hero. You may never see them, may not even know their names, but they put in that kind of time for you so that you can encounter Jesus. Could you put in an extra half hour? Could you show up at 9 instead of 10? Or 8.30 instead of 9.30? To help make this place into a beautiful house of worship for our God? If you want to, come talk to me. I'll connect you with the right people, and I bet you you'll find out what those people, those heroes who gather early on Sunday morning have found out, that just doing work together creates great relationships. You want to find community? One of the best places to find it is with setup. Third, technology. We have a great group of heroes who sit back at that table and all around that area. We have a great group of heroes who take video and edit video to make sure that we can put our content online. If you're a person who loves computers, interested in podcasting, YouTubing, video editing, any of that stuff, we want you. We need you. You could be a hero, not just for our congregation as we gather in worship, but as we start to reach out more through the internet to put our content online, you can be somebody who facilitates that. If you want to help with that, talk to Steve Alsop. He'll help you with the stuff in the back of the house. If you want to talk about internet ministry, you can talk to me with the, about that. I'd be glad to help you use your gifts. Fourth, being friendly. Whether you're an actual scheduled greeter that we have standing out by the door to meet, to meet and greet everybody who comes in, or you're just a person who is here regularly, please be friendly. I know we're all here for God's word, and, and that's great, and that's right. But man, let's not put a hindrance in front of people who come and visit us and make us seem like we're, we're standoffish or we just talk to our friends. Let's make every guest here feel comfortable and welcome and loved and wanted. Fifth, you can increase your offerings. I've talked to you a couple times about this for our core values sermon series. Um, not because you have to, and the Bible does not say you have to give any certain amount of offerings toward the mission of our church, but we have the chance right now to coalesce under a mission and move forward and reach out to our community. And I'll tell you exactly what will happen if you increase your offerings by the 1% that I've encouraged you to consider prayerfully as a family. That money will go straight to ministry, go straight to things like producing our worship services, the resources that we have for our Bible studies and our sermon series. It'll go to advertisements to get the word out in the community. And what it'll inevitably do also, it will, it will decrease the amount of money that we receive from our international church body, which means that they can take that money and give it to other churches who need it. You want to do mission work? It starts right here. I challenge you prayerfully to consider as a family, what are we giving right now? Could we, by God's grace and in trust in God, increase that, that offering by 1% of our income? I never ask you to do something that I'm not willing to do myself, so I'll tell you, I've done it. Johanna and I increased our offerings this year by 1%. We're praying that God provides for us. I, I'm not sure exactly how it's going to work out. I tried to balance the budgets when February started. I'm not sure. We'll see. But God is good, and he promises to be faithful. And sixth, if you want to be a hero, and you don't want to do any of those other things, just be positive. 
there are people in this congregation who love this congregation, who dream and think and talk and cry over this congregation. And if you don't necessarily want to support one of those things, please just encourage us as the rest of us do it. Give a compliment to somebody who you know is serving in some capacity in our congregation. In fact, if I can give you a challenge today, compliment at least one person before you leave. Can you pull it off? One person who serves today or serves at some other time in our congregation, thank them for their service, genuinely, not just because I told you to. And you can't thank me, by the way. That's cheating. If you want to, you can, but I can't be your one person, okay? But let's make this place a place where people feel appreciated for what they do, where they want to continue serving because they know that they're not just walking out by themselves in the end of a plank, that everyone is there with them, supporting them and walking with them. Be a hero because for you to live is Christ. And someday you'll gain eternity when you die, but until then, God has perfectly positioned you here to be selfless. I want to finish then today with one last thought. Did you catch what Jesus said would happen if we were selfless? It was the last verse of the text from John that I read. He, he said this. He said, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Do you want to be blessed by God? Do you ask God sometimes for blessings in your prayers? I suppose there are people who want to win the lottery who never buy a ticket. Jesus says, if you want to be blessed, be selfless. It is more blessed to give than to receive, he would say. Yes, keep praying. Yes, keep asking. But then step out in selflessness toward each other. And God promised, he said right here in his word, if we do that, we will be blessed. I want to be blessed. I want our congregation to be blessed. And so I pray for you every day that you would be selfless with each other and with the people who walk in our doors. I realize none of us are going to be perfect at this. And we're going to have to forgive each other and bear with each other because we are together. But as a Christ-centered congregation that focuses on the forgiveness of Jesus, we can be relentless in our love and our honesty with each other and continue to invest more in each other's lives and in God's word. I love you, and I love where this congregation is going. God be praised for the work he's doing here. Let's make it happen over 10 years by his grace. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you have given us an amazing opportunity to gather as this congregation in this city at this time in history for the sake of your kingdom. Give us opportunities to preach the gospel and to serve each other and make it all happen by the power of your grace through your word and through your sacraments. Lord Jesus, we are in awe of the way that you were willing to be a servant for us. Make us servants to each other. Amen.